Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. It's great to be with you this morning. Give honor to the Lord, my family, my wife, my mother, my children, the saints. I give honor to Bishop Harvey and Lady Judy. Amen. Pray for our bishop. He's on assignment this morning. Keep him in your prayers continually. God is using him mightily, doing awesome things. Amen. God is doing something wonderful in you too. And that's something to be excited about. Without any any further delay, I, I want to dive into the word. We've been dealing with the discourse of grace. Uh, if you've been here at all over the last several Uh, Sundays, the last couple of months, Bishop has engaged us in a discourse about grace. Grace is fundamental to the Christian tradition. We know that the scripture says that we are not saved by our own merits, by our own works, but it's it's by grace and it's through faith. And so we're going to continue that discourse today. I I want to approach it from a a bit of a, a, a different angle. I want to approach it from a bit of a different angle. And actually, uh, if you were at Aspire on Wednesday, I got a little nervous because Bishop actually, he referenced my my primary text. And I'm like, come on, pops. <laughs> you know, I know you're the father of the house and all of that, you know. But just, just let me get this one in real quick. But if you would, please join me in going to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And we are going to consider... Luke chapter 15, and we will look at verses 1 and 2. Luke chapter 15, and we will look at verses 1 and 2. I'll be reading this initial text from the New Living Translation for those who may be curious. When you have it, say, I got it. If you're still working on it, say, Lord, help me. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Scripture says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people even eating with them. I want to focus this morning on 
those that society, those that the world perhaps would even deem notorious. Somebody say notorious. Now, when I consulted Miriam Webster, I found that uh, notorious uh, is a term that means to be well known, to uh, be publicly discussed, to be widely but unfavorably known. Typically, when we consider that term, we don't think of an individual or something that is positive or that is good. In fact, if we uh, extend our research a bit further and we look at synonyms, we'll find that a synonym for notorious is villainous. Uh, a synonym for notorious is shady. A synonym for notorious is shameful. It is disreputable. It is questionable. And Jesus was criticized because he found himself in the midst of these folk that were considered notorious. And Luke lets us know in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says tax collectors and other notorious sinners. So that lets us know that tax collectors were considered to be notorious. And if you're not familiar with that particular occupation during those times, tax collectors were actually uh, Jews who were considered Benedict Arnold's. They, they were considered turncoats because they were working for the enemy. They, they were hired by the, the, the Roman Empire, and what they would do is they would collect the tribute that was due to Caesar. Uh, but these individuals were very shady. They were doing shameful things because not only did they collect the taxes that were due to Caesar, but they also added a little bit more on top of that. They took advantage of their own people because they knew that the, 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 Jewish, the Jewish nation did not want any problems with the Romans. They knew that to defy the Roman Empire would mean sudden and certain death. And so these tax collectors uh, joined the oppressive Roman regime and, and, and stole essentially from their peers and their, their kinfolk, their brothers and their sisters. And so they were considered notorious. Somebody say notorious. Now, as you listen to me, I want you to consider and think for a moment, who in your sphere of influence, who in your household, who in your, in, in your workplace next to your cubicle would you consider notorious? Just think about it for a minute. If we would be honest, some of us may have a boss that we would say is a notorious individual. A little shady, a little shameful, a little questionable. Some of us have family members. Cousins and them. Come on, some of us got a Nazi that's a little notorious. Little shady. Little questionable. Little shameful. It's funny because we have a very curious relationship with notorious people. Even with celebrities, right? We, 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 we will criticize them, right? We will criticize uh, Nicki Minaj, perhaps, if she comes out and she's very, very uh, lightly dressed, to put it mildly. But we'll follow her on Twitter. Where's Nicki at now? Who she with now? Who she got on her arm now? We got a very curious relationship with the Notorious. We'll talk about the Real Housewives of Atlanta and the Potomac and L.A. and whoever else, China, I don't know. We'll talk all about them, but then we watching the show. Got a very curious relationship when it comes to the Notorious. And what I want to make the case for today is that if Jesus was okay with being amongst the Notorious, 
then we ought to be able and willing to come close to the notorious ourselves. And to help us really get this, this, this teaching in our, in our hearts and in our spirit, I prepared a PowerPoint. And I'd like you to just gaze upon it, if you will. It's not very long. It's maybe uh, one minute or two, two minutes or so. But I, I wanted to give you some more imagery about what it means when I say a notorious person or a notorious sinner. Media team, if you can roll that, please. So I had a variety of individuals that were listed, some that many of us would agree upon. Adolf Hitler, Idi Amin from Uganda, a dictator. And then I wanted to have a little bit of fun with it because I know many of us have seen some of these classic movies. You remember Rebecca De Mornay in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle? She was notorious. You remember, you remember Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct? She was notorious. You remember if you saw the, the movie Juice, you saw Tupac, he was notorious. Suge Knight, Kim Kardashian, right? All of these individuals widely are known and in many cases uh, unfavorably known. They would be examples of who Jesus would be unafraid of and unwilling to, um, and, and willing to actually come close to. But I find it very interesting because as I looked at the screen and as I was preparing the PowerPoint, I recognized that just like beauty, who is notorious is really in the eyes of the beholder. Notice I ended with the Central Park Five. How many of you have seen that documentary that they just, Ava DuVernay? When the allegations came about the Central Park Five, Almost everybody, particularly those who were not a part of the black community, demonized those young men. Automatically said they were guilty. Automatically rendered them notorious. But in the eyes of others, they received empathy. They received sympathy. They received compassion. They received care. We can argue all day long about Adolf Hitler and the atrocities of Germany and the Third Reich, but... To the Germans, many of them, Adolf Hitler was a hero. Many of us can argue about the different people on the screen because I know some of you ladies were a little bit uncomfortable when you saw Denzel on that screen, right? Come on. You, you, you like to remember the Titans, Denzel. <laughs> Come on. You like the Mo Better Blues, Denzel. You better tell the, tell the truth and shame the devil. 
Come on, Bleak Gilliam on that trumpet. You, you like that Denzel, but you don't like Denzel as Alonzo Harris, dirty cop. Why did Denzel have to turn crooked before he took it? I don't know. I'm sorry, but he got a little nervous. Like, don't talk about Denzel. My point is we become, we can become very subjective when it comes to who we consider to be notorious. If you ask people who grew up in the Confederate South, General Robert E. Lee was a national hero. That's part of why the, 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 the Charlottesville incident occurred, erecting a statue. It's in the eye of the beholder. Well, if that's true, then it makes sense that Jesus found himself being okay with being amongst the notorious because the individuals that the religious folk didn't want to have anything to do with, the individuals that the teachers of the law said were untouchable and, 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 were, and, and were unscrupulous and, and were shameful and shady, Jesus was unbothered by that because in his eyes, he saw somebody that was worthy where they saw someone who, who was not deserving of dignity, Jesus saw somebody who was yet beautiful. Jesus saw potential where somebody else saw a throwaway. How many of you are glad if you're like me that Jesus didn't throw you away? Huh? Because if, if, you are, if you're like me, if you just think back, and some of us don't have to think back that long ago, if we think back about our life, it could easily be us that was a part of this notorious list. Some of us got mug shots that we hope no saint ever sees. Some of us are, are part of some Polaroid picture somewhere in somebody's shoebox under the bed or in the closet that we hope nobody ever gets a hold of. What, ha what would happen if people investigated your life? Would you be amongst the Notorious, everybody say notorious. Now, before I proceed, and I need to move quickly, I want to issue this as a subtext for this message, and that is very quickly, love. As I began to prepare, the Lord began to give me a pictorial vision in my mind, and I began to see uh, a process uh, that is associated with lawn care. And God helped me to understand that there's a love audit that needs to happen. Moving in grace requires that we have a love audit. Here's some questions. If I was a, a love auditor, here's what I would ask. Is our love big enough for the notorious? Has the love of God so permeated our being that our intellect and our memories and our emotions won't get in the way of us loving the notorious? Have we been baptized in his love? I know we've been baptized, many of us, in the water. But have we been baptized in his love? And if I could quote the BGs, you know those Australian boys, 1977 classic. I would ask this question, how deep is your love? Saints, the Lord is shaking us and he's unsettling our earth. And I, 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 I sent a couple of pics. I hope the team has it. Has it. Uh, but this is what I saw in the spirit. I saw hard packed earth that had cracks. And what God wants to do this morning is through his word. If you see this image, he wants to penetrate our earth so that his love can work in us and his love can work through us. If you know about lawn care, it's a process called aeration. 
And a lawn aerator is a garden tool that's designed to create holes in the soil to help grass grow. The tool creates holes in this compact soil and it allows carbon dioxide to escape and it allows uh, oxygen, air, and water to get in. During this process, the roots are divided and severed and they're spread and they actually fill the holes. And what happens as a, as a result of this process is there's more air and more water getting to the soil so that it actually begins to grow deeper roots and it becomes much more rich and much more healthy. This is what God wants to have happen in our hearts, saints. What he's saying is right now, some of us have hearts that are really impenetrable. And at best, there's cracks. In other words, much of what he wants to get in cannot get in because you got to be opened. Notice what Pastor Sonia said during worship. She says, some of us have lids on. We need to take the lid off. God wants to open many of us up so he can pour his love in. You've got to understand the depth of a love that will cause Jesus being fully divine and being fully man. Remember this. Yes, he was God, but he was also man. You have to understand the depth of a love that would allow you to knowingly go to the cross. Can you imagine that? I'm not talking about unforeseen dangers. I'm talking about knowing that this is why you came. Breaking bread with people, eating with people, feasting with people, ministering to people, healing people, and knowing all the while that I have to die. That my purpose is to shed my blood. How far and how, how willing are we to open ourselves up so that the notorious can be reached? Say notorious. First point of order. No sin is too great for the redemptive power of God. Do you believe that? No sin is too great for the redemptive power of God. I'll give you some Bible for this. Titus 2.14. It says that Jesus gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. To cleanse us. And to make us his people holy, dedicated, and fully committed to doing good deeds on the earth. Now think about what I just said in relation to the PowerPoint that you just viewed. Some people would consider many of those folks on the PowerPoint not worthy of redemption or having no redemptive qualities, being beyond the grace of God. Many, many people would condemn them to death. We got to step back and ask a question. If we take on that attitude, are we being like God? Are we being like a religious teacher? Are we being like a Pharisee if that's our disposition and our attitude? In other words, are we taking upon ourselves the cloak of a judge when God has not given us that responsibility and prerogative? Jesus is for everybody. Jife. That's what truth said. Jesus is for everybody. We got to let that sink into our mind and into our spirit. Because if we grab a hold of this revelation, then we won't have a problem with neighboring. We won't skip one house to go to the next house. We won't be ashamed of or perhaps even afraid of going down by the corner because we know they turn up real hard. 
They always carry on and carry on, and they always make noise. And uh, I could have swore I heard them doing something last night, and perhaps there were some gunshots over there. If we believe that everybody has access to our risen king, then we will have the attitude like Jesus and declare that he is for everybody. Somebody say grace. Now, here's a, a point I want to make. Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember Nebuchadnezzar in the scripture, raise your hand. Yes or no? Is he an individual that you would consider notorious? Most of us would say yes. Now, I'm not going to go through his resume for time's sake, but this is what I want to suggest to you to help make this case, that no one is beyond the redemptive power of God. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 4 that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He was very troubled. He called for his enchanters, his wise men, to try to interpret the dream, but they could not do it. But then he called on his ace, who was a man named Daniel that we know. He knew Daniel would deliver because he already had delivered. He had already interpreted the dream. And he began to expound and tell Daniel the dream. Actually, Daniel began to tell him what his dream was. And then he interpreted the dream. And the dream was ominous for King Nebuchadnezzar. It was not a good look. In the dream, Nebuchadnezzar was this tall, grand tree. But then he got cut down. And at the end, there was a stump that was remaining. And Daniel said, King, this tree is you. And he began to let him know that your kingdom is going to be stripped from you. And he began to let him know that you're going to be humbled. And he said, King, you're going to be driven from society and you're going to actually lose your mind. And you're going to eat grass like the cows and the dew of heaven is going to drip all over you. And here's what Daniel said. Daniel says, until you learn. That messes me up every time. Until you learn that the most high God is God and is king over all the nations. The scripture says that Daniel, sorry, that God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months. He had 12 months to get it right. He was pompous. He thought he was a big shot. He thought he was a boss. Applesauce. 12 months later, it happened. The word came to pass. He lost his kingdom. He was out there so bad, saints. The Bible says his hair grew long like eagle's feathers. And it says his nails became like bird claws. He was out there bad. Until one day, he looked up. You see, however notorious those individuals are or were in the PowerPoint, they, like Nebuchadnezzar, are individuals who think it's all about them or they thought it was all about them. They were full of pride. They were full of ego. Nobody could tell them nothing. In fact, they were gods unto them own, their own selves, demigods, if you will. But if Nebuchadnezzar, as cruel as he was, as he led the Babylonian Empire, as, as harsh and brutal as he was, if he, after being humbled, can look up and be restored, how much can these folks look up to heaven? and be restored. The Bible says that once Nebuchadnezzar looked up to heaven and humbled himself, and he acknowledged that the Lord God is the most high God. He is the one that rules over the nations. He recognized that it's not just, it's not really about me. In fact, the only authority that I have is because of him. Once he got in his right place, and he got his mind, he got his, the Bible says his sanity was restored. He got his mind back. He got his kingdom back. And then he declared that this is the most high God.
Jesus is for everybody, saints. No one is beyond the redemptive power of God. No one. But I find it interesting. Nebuchadnezzar's conversion was a journey. It was a process. He was actually, if you think about it, on a pilgrimage because that wasn't the first time he had encountered this God who was most high. That was not the first time that he encountered El Elyon. Remember I said Daniel interpreted a dream before. He couldn't sleep. Daniel interpreted the dream. He and his buddies had an intercessory session. They prayed and God gave him the revelation. And at that point, Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar realized that God is a revealer of mysteries. And then when the boys didn't bow down, they said, no, king, we don't care what you do. Our God will deliver us. And even if he does not, we still won't bow to your statue. Daniel chapter 3. Not only did he know that he was a, a revealer of mysteries and secrets, but Nebuchadnezzar came to the realization that God is a deliverer, that he will rescue his people. But even at that point, Nebuchadnezzar really just only acknowledged that, okay, your God is, he, your God is true, yeah, right? Your, your God is strong. Your God is, I respect your God. But he didn't make him Lord. He didn't submit. So God had to bring him low. God had to break him all the way down to a point where he could not, even if he tried, operate in his kingship and his authority. Nobody is beyond God's touch and reach. Come on. You know how you watch some of these action movies. Uh, uh, some of us might have some, some folks in our sphere of influence that talk like this, and they say, you know what? You know what? I'm going to touch him up. Right? He, he needs to get touched up. In other words, I, I'm going to reach out and touch him. They're not talking about uh, AT&T. They're not talking about a phone call. They're not talking about care and compassion and concern. They're talking about something else. Nobody is beyond God touching them. Let that influence your prayers for the unsaved and for the lost and say, Lord, touch them. If Nebuchadnezzar could be turned around, how much more? Because I guarantee whoever you have on your list of notorious people, I guarantee their resume does not measure up against Nebuchadnezzar's. I guarantee it doesn't. If God can humble Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel said, until you learn that the most high is God. That's the problem with a lot of folks who are notorious. They have not learned that God is God. They think they are in charge. They think they are the captain of their own ship. They think they're running things. And so all God has to do is come in real quick because after all, he's, a, he's an awesome God. Come on, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. Flesh. Flesh. We're talking about God. We're talking about the one who, who, who hung the stars and the planets up like wallpaper in the universe. We're talking about God who set the nations where they belong and he, he established their boundaries. We're talking about God who established the seas and their borders. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God can touch whoever. Nebuchadnezzar's journey was affected by some believers. You see, the Hebrew boys were in Babylon. They were captive. They were oppressed. But that didn't affect their witness. 
They did not let the circumstances of their day quench the fire that they had on the inside. They remembered all the teachings from their youth. And so when an opportunity presented itself to declare who they serve, they didn't bow down. Come on, they were uncompromising. They were unyielding. They didn't care if it meant death. They didn't care if it meant that they won't get a promotion. They didn't care if they lost favor. From the onset of their journey into Babylon, they stayed true to what they believe. And so we see in the scripture, Paul says, hold on to the things that you have learned. Saints, hold on to the things that you have learned. God is positioning you next to somebody so that they can be touched by him. This is not even the direction that I was going to go. Media team can vouch for that. Everybody can be touched. You don't have to plot and get them back. See, some of us think we're doing something when we have our little scheme. You know, we try to be like Rakim. Shout out to the hip-hop fans. We try to be like Rakim thinking of a master plan. Right, we, we, try to, we try to think of something like, okay, I'm, I'm going to show him. I'm going to show her. I'm not going to the reunion. Come on. I'm not making that pie. If we be honest, we do things like that. I'm not going. And if we be real honest, we do it in church. I'm not going. I'm not serving. Oh, I know I'm in here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. God don't need your help to fix people. Even if Daniel and his friends tried, they didn't know what to do with Nebuchadnezzar. It was nothing that they could do to change that man. But they knew a God in heaven. Put God on them. Come on, somebody tweet that. Put God on them. I remember Bishop Harvey talking about his mother, and uh, he, he said she would say, uh, don't make me tell God on you. That, that's all you got to say. Don't make me tell my God on you. And then begin to testify. This is what he did. This is Samson's God. This is David's God. This is Jehoshaphat's God. Come on, this is Moses' God. The God of the Bible has done mar mar marvelous and miraculous things. Help me, Holy Ghost. Let me keep going. Okay, media team, I'm going to get there. I'm not going to finish it, but I'll get there as best as I can. Paul. Paul was considered a terrorist by those who were a part of the, Jew, uh, the Jewish nation. He is and was considered somebody who uh, is among the notorious. I would, often, I would even venture to say he was an agent of terror. And we know that, again, God showed his omnipotence. God showed his, 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 his master plan when he knocked Paul off of his high horse. 
Come on, Paul was on a mission. I had a student when I was in high school, his name was Jack. He used to be like, man, come on, Dr. Aaronson, I'm on, man, I'll be on missions, man. Jack, why you late, man? Because I'll be on missions, man. You know, I'll be on missions. I ain't know what Jack was talking about, but he was on missions, right? But Paul was on a mission. He was en route to see to it that Christians were arrested. He was en route to see to it that Christians were put in jail and perhaps even killed. But God stopped him right in his tracks. He was notorious. But let's look at what Paul's testimony is. And I pray that if you think in any kind of way that you could be notorious in this room, right? If you, if you just be real honest with yourself and you do self-inventory, am I shady? Am I that person in the family that this brother is talking about? Am I that person that has some questionable practices? If you consider yourself even remotely to be a part of the clique that I call the notorious, I want you to consider Paul's testimony here. Galatians 1, 13 through 15. And I want to read this. I found this, this translation. Uh, I've known about it, but this was the first time I actually dived into it, and that is the Passion Translation. It says, by now you have heard stories of how severely I harassed and persecuted Christians and did my best to system, uh, systematically destroy God's church, all because of my radical devotion to the Jewish religion. My zeal and passion for the doctrines of Judaism distinguished me among my people, for I was far more advanced in my religious instruction than others my age. I love this next verse. Then he says, but then God called me by his grace. How many of you been called by his grace? You got a but then moment. You know, I was in the club or I was just doing my own thing, but then God called me. He says, and in love, he chose me from my birth to be his. Do you not realize that even before you begin to think about doing dirt? Right? Notice Paul is in some ways relishing in his accomplishments. You know, if we be honest, sometimes when we think about our BC days, we, we kind of stick our chest out a little bit. You know, we see some of them old pictures. We see that mink or that fur, right? From my 80s people, you see the gold chains, you know, the whole prison thing, you know. We see that, and sometimes we like, man, you know, I know I was a, I was a wretch, but uh, I had it going on in my wretchedness and in my, my, my pre-ratchetness, because ratchet wasn't a word that they, they was using back then. If we be honest, we, we, we really think we had it going on. Like, you, you was fly, couldn't nobody tell you anything different. Right? Picture this, Paul is acknowledging his past. And what he's doing, saints, is he's making the case for why grace is so important and why grace is so real. Paul is saying, I went hard in the paint for something that was bogus. He's saying that I was the worst amongst those who persecuted the church. Some of those people in the PowerPoint are individuals that you and I would consider the worst. But Paul says, but then God called me by his grace. Come on, if you feel notorious today, grace is calling for you. My God, you are not beyond the reach of the Most High God. You're not. He says he chose me from birth to be his. 
before you even started doing what you know wasn't right to do, God already had designs. The Message Bible, Ephesians 1.11 says, God already had designs on you. In other words, God was already putting you in a, in a, in a picture that's so much bigger than you. The rapper, the truth says, God saved us to make us a part of something that's so much bigger. God saved us to make us a part of something that's so much bigger. Come on, get that. God saved us to make us a part of something that's so much bigger. God had designs on you. He already saw you fitting into his master plan. Come on, before you was pimping, before you was selling dope, before you was doing whatever it was, God already had a plan for your life. Think about that. See, we think that once we get saved, now God adds us to his roster. Come on. No, he already had a plan for you. This is, this is what the Bible means when it says in Jeremiah 1 and 5, the Lord says, before you were even formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. That word knew in the Hebrew is a reference to the fact that this was a relationship that once was, but got severed. In other words, God is saying, you started with me. You started with me. You are a spirit having an earthly experience. You started with me. I already had a plan for you before you did it. And now we recognize the preciousness of the Lamb of God. Because Isaiah says that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Come on. All of us like sheep have gone astray. But it says that the Lord put upon him, who was him, Jesus, the sins of us all. In other words, every time you sin, he put it on Jesus. Think about that. Every kick, every smack, every lash across his back, he put it on Jesus. Every time you lied, he put it on Jesus. Every time you smoked, he put it on Jesus. Every time you slept around, he put it on Jesus. Every time you was finagling and, and doing shady things, uh, what they might call white-collar things, he put it on Jesus. Blue-collar, white-collar, hood, suburban, it doesn't matter. He put it all on Jesus. He put it all on him. Jesus is for everybody. He put it all on Jesus. Just lift your hands right there. Thank you, Lord, for mercy. Thank you for covering all of my sins. Thank you for washing them in the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I got a couple more, and then we're going to stop. 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. The Passion Translation, again, I'll use, says, this is Paul, listen, he says, I can testify that the word is true and deserves to be received by all. For Jesus Christ came into the world to bring sinners back to life, even me, the worst sinner of them all. Yet I was captured by grace. Hallelujah so that Jesus Christ could display through me the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all those who will believe in him for eternal life. 
media team, I'm not going to go there, but I'll just mention this. The message version says, uh, uh, now he shows me off. Don't you realize if we started with God that Satan tries to wave his fist in God's face? Like now, I got him. You can't have him. Right? Satan tries to taunt God because he knows that he's captured sinners. Right? Jesus said, if you are a sinner, you are the slave of sin. That means sin has you captive. This is why we got to extend grace to those that may be considered notorious. You know why? Because if they could get free, they would get free. They, they can't get free. Sin is like this. You ever seen those dogs in a neighborhood or, or even on in media? You know, you think they're coming after you, right? Because you're walking and they're coming. But you don't see that they're going to get stopped. So you speed up a little bit more. And all of a sudden, they think they're going to get you. And then it's like, yank. And they're brought all the way back. That's what sin is. Right? People, that's why coming to church is not enough. That's a picture of what happens when sinners come to church but don't get saved. They coming, but they haven't learned that he's most high yet. And so Satan just yanks them all the way back. Where you going? You ain't going nowhere. You mine. Come on, that's what them drugs do. Where you going? You mine. That's what that alcohol does. Where you going? You mine. That's what abuse does. That's what trauma does. Where you think you going? You mine. But I'm so glad that Jesus is a chain breaker. I'm so glad that he's a deliverer. Paul says, and now he shows me off. He uses me as proof. He uses me as evidence. This is why we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. This is why we can't be afraid to let people know that I rock with Jesus Christ. And I'm a daughter of the most high. And I'm a son of the king. Because God wants to prove to Satan that, you know what, boss, you're not that powerful. Uh, and in fact, I have all power. I'm the omnipotent one. God wants to show the world that even the person that you thought was beyond grace is not too far for me to touch him. I'll touch him if I want to. I'll touch him if I want to. Sin had us captive. Satan put traps in our way. Why? Because he, he wants to trap you. Think about your sons, moms. Think about your grandsons, grannies. Pawpaws, think about them boys and them young ladies that's out there that you're praying for. Think about them. Satan has put traps in their way. It's intentional. It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake that they was growing up in church and now all of a sudden they don't want to go to church. Now they acting all brand new. Now they don't want to come to church with you. It's a trap so that they can be held captive. But guess what? Paul says, I was captured by grace. So you know what that means? And I'm almost done. What that means is that if I was captured by grace, that means grace was looking for me. Come on. 
you think about somebody that's hunting, right? You, a, a, a hunter sets traps deliberately, right? So if Satan is setting traps, how much more is God arranging divine appointments? How much, how much more is God setting conditions up so that you can walk into an atmosphere where you encounter somebody that understands the grace of God? And so this is why we got to recognize John 1, 14, where the scripture says, and the word became flesh. This is why we got to be flesh and bone in our neighborhood. This is why we have to be flesh and bone to our family. Because God is setting the conditions up so that when your loved ones come who are saved, when those people come around you who are notorious, they can walk right into his plan and be surrounded by grace. Grace is the antidote for the disease of notoriousness. People usually in movies have to go find the antidote, right? They try to go find the cure. They go after the elixir. We don't have to go after it. Grace is looking for you. Come on. That's what it means. The word became flesh. He didn't consider it uh, uh, something of, of, of worthy of holding on to to maintain his divinity. He was willing, Bishop talked the other day, he was willing to put on flesh. This is how bad God wanted you. He left his splendor in glory. Come on. He left the, the third heavens. He, he, he left his throne in, in glory and put on flesh. He became regular. He became ordinary when he is extraordinary. He took off that suit. He took off all the superlatives that you can think of and became like you and me. Why? Because you matter that much. He says, Satan is a pawn. I'm, I'm, I'm the king. No matter what, the king is always the king. No matter what, the king is always the king. Satan, you a pawn. They belong to me. They are part of my design. Satan, you're trespassing. That's why when we pray for our folks, we pray for our loved ones, we pray for people. That's why we have to bind the work of the enemy. The scripture says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. You got a war for your loved ones. Jesus is calling you and me to be grace. Be grace. Don't be a, a, a greater, a grace hater. Be grace. Now that's hard because most of us want to critique. Most of us want to, want to try to give our opinion and our correction. But if we're not careful, we will be just like the religious teachers. We will be like the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes. Instead of receiving grace, they argue with grace. Instead of acknowledging grace, they, they, they attack grace. They try to arrest grace. Think about that. Jesus was around them all the time. And what did they do? Debate. Call them names. Plot to kill him. Are we doing that to people? Are we doing that to people? Are people around us all the time? 
Are they in the midst of grace, but instead getting critique, getting ambushed, attacked? God forbid that we would be grace, that we sons and daughters of God would be accessible to individuals who are trapped, who are being held captive, but we withhold the gift of grace. God forbid it be us. God forbid it be us. God forbid it be me. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.